Well, I had a listener who asked, do I have to be great to succeed? Now, that's an awesome question. We're going to think through that and more. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. What if you're just average? What if you aren't outstanding as an athlete? What if you aren't outstanding as a musician? Are there ways you can really accelerate your success, even if you're not going to be at the top of the pack? Well, there are indeed. Hey, we're going to talk about that and more. Our sponsor today is Casper Mattresses. That's where we get our mattresses. I'll tell you how you can get a $50 discount and get it delivered right to your front door. we got a whole lot of people who I'm hearing from who are doing exactly that. So I want to tell you how you can do that. Well, here's some questions we're going to be looking at. Somebody says, Dan, I've been offered a promotion, but I fear getting stuck in a J-O-B. Golly, great question. Love that framing. Somebody says, why is it just because I have a disability? They discriminate against me from accomplishing my dream. And how can I break my cycle of not taking action? After a year of trying, should I grow my, can I grow my list or should I throw in the towel? And my life is too cluttered. What can I do? Well, I got a little clip today, an interview with Ruth Sukup about her new book, Unstuffed where she talks about exactly that and more. We'll introduce that as we go along here. Our quotation today comes from David Foster. Now, David is the musician producer who's worked with people like Celine Dion and Josh Groban and lots of people like that. His quotation is, I was good, but not great. Now, I'm going to frame that in one of the questions here, but he says, I was good, but not great. And he attributes that fact to his success if he would have been better it would have changed the direction of his success hey it may sound counterintuitive but we're gonna we're gonna look at that and figure out how he explains the fact that not being great as a musician opened the door for extraordinary success for him as it can for you not just in music but in other areas as well well as i said our sponsor today is casper if you go to casper.com slash sleep you love, you'll see a special offer there for 48 days listeners. You then use sleep you love as the code and you'll get $50 off any mattress you want to purchase. Now I'm hearing from more and more people, Kent Julian, uh, and lots of people are giving me notes saying that they just ordered the Casper love, how it comes delivered right to your door. Don't have to go down to the store and figure out how to get it home. It comes right to your door. You open it up in the room where you want it. Believe me, it opens up, expands, and provides a wonderful sleeping surface for you and your guest. It's that just the right bounce. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. We just have guests that are always amazed at how they sleep on our Casper mattress. Go to casper.com slash sleep you love. Use sleep you love as the code to get you that $50 discount. 
Now, I got a couple things happening over on 48days.net. Actually, a lot of things happened there. We had a live call this week and had a whole lot of people just sharing ideas and resources, which is exactly what it's designed to do there. But got some cool things I wanted just to mention here. Dr. Jason Kabler posted a really great blog on nine ways to build your $1,000 emergency fund quickly. Now, if you're Dave Ramsey listeners and fans, you know that he talks about that as the very first of the baby steps in walking out of debt. Get a thousand bucks. You just feel different if you're able to do that. Jason walks right through some ways that you can do that. Surprising ways that perhaps you've not been looking at, things you've overlooked, but you can check that out at 48days.net. Jason Cable's blog on how to build your thousand dollar emergency fund quickly. Got a couple notes here from new people who are doing the 48 days to the work you love seminar, which is really cool. Carrie, Carrie Stith says, I'm having a blast facilitating the 48 days course. The participants are enjoying it as well. I'll be leading week three of week six tomorrow evening. I'm already thinking about marketing for my next class. Wanted to share an idea. I'm going to ask several of the more enthusiastic participants to film short testimonial videos after the last session. Then I'm going to use these videos to promote the next class. Well, that's a great idea, Carrie. Great idea. Something we use at all of our events here. When somebody comes for Coaching with Excellence or Innovate, we film testimonials. And then we can share those with other people who are considering coming. Great way to build the excitement about that. Chris Colville says, I discovered a good option for hosting and promoting the 48-day seminar. A really local option. I'm going to rent out my neighborhood community community's clubhouse for the six-week seminar and promote the seminar to my community's residents via the community's email newsletter. This option is really appealing because it reduces barriers for me and the participants by making the location really convenient. And he says, anyone else trying this approach? I think it's a great idea. We lived years ago in a community of, in, in a community like you're describing, there were 433 homes in the community and they had a beautiful clubhouse. And we would do exactly that. We would rent the clubhouse. It was a very nominal fee. It was like $25 because we were residents of the community. But we would just block it out, make sure it was clean when we left. And we'd use it for parties, for seminars, workshops like that. And again, having a captive audience where they don't have a long way to travel is a real advantage for setting up 48-day seminar. Great, great idea. All right, Craig says, last year I read 48 Days to the Work You Love, completely changed my outlook on my career. I'm currently a teacher, but your book inspired me to take the gift of teaching to a different level. Over the years, I've developed a deep passion for personal finance and helping others break free from debt and learn to win with money. This year, I've launched my coaching company and I've been loving it so far. I intend to build this business on the side with plans to expand beyond just one-on-one coaching in the future. That would include public speaking, ebooks, online courses, and so on. Currently, I'm struggling with setting a reasonable price for coaching. I don't want to charge too little, but fear I'll run people off if I charge too much. Thanks for any advice you can offer. Well, Craig, I think that you do have your challenge set out pretty clearly if you want to do financial coaching and charge for it. Now, here's, here's a couple of reasons. There, there's two real clear reasons that's challenging. One is, A lot of people in financial trouble don't have any money. So the fees for coaching are really just kind of out of reach. But the other thing that I think is more pervasive even is the fact that we're so used to having any information about finances be free. You can sit down with your accountant, your bookkeeper, your banker, 
financial consultant, insurance agent. I mean, all those people will give you information free because they all have a product to sell. And they make their money not in just providing great advice, but in selling a back-end product. If you're just sitting down with people to walk them through how to get out of debt, how to get that first $1,000 in their emergency fund, yeah, it's pretty tough to charge for that. And even Dave Ramsey's company, even today with the size that it is, you know, over 500 employees, the division where they do personal coaching and uh, um, don't have inside scoop on a day-by-day basis, but for the most part, my impression is that it kind of covers its own cost, but it's not a moneymaker. That organization, Dave's organization, makes money through selling books, courses, Financial Peace University, you know, the seminars, the workshops, entree leadership things they do, radio advertising. I mean, there's massive things that they're doing, but they don't put a lot of focus or potential in getting revenue, significant revenue, just from the individual coaching. I think you're going to have to do the same thing. I think you're going to have to very quickly build other things that you're offering or get paid for speaking, ebooks, online courses, the things that you, that you are talking about. Pretty tough to have it be just directly from the financial coaching itself. Jack says, I want to start a small side business, a vocation, vacation, home care taking. In my area, northern Michigan, there's an abundance of lake and weekend homes. I want to connect with the owners and become the person who watches over the home when they won't be around. I want to set up a weekly or biweekly schedule and plan part price plan to do a walkthrough for the homeowner. I can also offer a vast knowledge of the home and we'll do small repairs or line up contractors when they want or need to get work done. I don't know an effective way to get my foot in the door and I'm trying to find a way to get the word out before or on Memorial Day weekend as this is when everyone is on vacation. And he says, P.S., I'm happy, full-time employed, just looking for a small stream of secondary income. My goal is 10 customers by December, just not sure how to get there. Well, Jack, I love your plan. You know, if if you're living in an area where there's a lot of vacation homes, you see that, wow, I, I think it's a great plan to be the guy that takes care of those places when the property owners are not necessarily right there. Great idea. Now, I think you could look on at vacation rentals in your area. You, know, you could jump on Airbnb and see who's got places that they're renting out. You could check VRBO, that's you know vacation rental by owner, or on local Facebook groups. I think any of those would be fine for getting some leads. But frankly, I think they're also too slow and too distant. What I'd do is I'd take a weekend, golly, I mean, take the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend and go put a one-page flyer with your picture on it on 50 doors. Now, in the process of doing that, you're going to run into some homeowners and have a chance to talk with them, and your information will be readily available to your target, your exact target audience. And then it'll, it'll work to your advantage as well to have homes that are close together. Because if you put something on Facebook or just look on VRBO or something like that, you're going to get things that are, you know, 100 miles apart. Just farm the area. Do like, like a real estate agent would do where you farm one community. So draw a radius five miles from where you live or wherever it happens to be and just farm that area. But go out, personally contact, personally visit, put notes on the doors, See if you can catch people at home, 50 people out of that. I'm totally confident that you could get your 10 customers by December. And that's a very direct approach. When we lived in that community that I mentioned, it's called Cottonwood. It's here in Franklin, Tennessee. And when Jared, 
our one son was 14 years old and looking for a summer job and thinking, well, gee, I could throw newspapers or mow lawns. Well, that's what all the kids do. How can you do something distinctive? And we knew that he had skills in bicycle mechanic repair. So we put together one little flyer. It was real simple. It was in a real neon green, and we made it as a door hanger. And what we did was we put it out on those 433 homes where it said, this week's special, $5 flat repair. Well, and the real bonus value was free pickup and delivery. Now, when you think about that, the biggest pain for parents and having a bicycle that needs repair Gee, you got to put it in the trunk. Hope you don't scratch the paint on the Mercedes. You know, haul it down to the shop, leave it. Then you got to go reverse the process, pick it up again. Free pickup and delivery. Now, how did that happen for a 14-year-old? On foot. I wasn't running around the community. He could walk anywhere in that community and pick it up. All he needed was the address. But in doing that, just that one special free flat repair, it kept him busy all summer long. Now, also what happens, just to kind of extend that little business analogy there, what happens when you get a bicycle that has a flat repair? It's set in the garage all winter long, and now they want to get it out for spring, you know, get it ready for summer. Chances are pretty high it needs more than just a flat repair. So Jared would call those people back and say, wow, I noticed the chain is really loose. You know, the gear shift needs to be adjusted. I've got a a special package for $35 where I'll do kind of a spring tune-up to address those other things as well. And people would say, sure, go ahead and do that. Well, here he was, 14 years old, and he would very effectively make $200, $250 a week with his little bicycle repair thing. I didn't have to drive him to work, drop him off. He wasn't doing what every other kid was doing, have to be price competitive. He was just something unique. Now, back to your plan, Jack, to have, I would recommend the same kind of process. Go directly, talk to the people who are in your target audience, and I think you can get those 10 customers really easily. Now, this comes from Luke. This is one that I alluded to in the questions when I mentioned them at the outset here. Luke says, my dream goal is to transition from my J-O-B career to an area of passion that I currently try to work on the side. My job involves some aspects that I enjoy and some that I loathe. It's funny how often that word shows up in notes that I get from people. Loathe, L-O-A-T-H-E. I don't hear people talk about, use that word much other than in reference to their work. Anyway, Jack continues, a promotion opportunity in this job would move me to a position where I would only be doing the aspects of the career that I really enjoy and none of the ones that I loathe. It would, however, be a greater commitment of my time and effort and involve a major relocation. And I don't know if that would impact my ability to pursue my passion on the side. Am I wasting time and energy working to move up when it is only really a J-O-B? Or would it result in greater satisfaction and advancement in that area of my life? Is it still beneficial? Am I creating a false either or conundrum? Wow, I love the way that you laid this all out, Luke. But here's what you've got to, you've got to do. Start by identifying what do you want your life to look like three years from now. That's a reasonable time frame. Happens in a blink of an eye. Describe what you want your life to look like three years from now. Do you really want to be full-time in your passion, whatever that is? You don't mention what that is. Or do you still think that you'll be doing something on the side and have a traditional J-O-B? If it is the former, if in fact three years from now you're determined that you're going to be working just in your passion and not have a J-O-B at all, 
Then the question simply is, how quickly can you make that happen? Do you need to maintain a current job for two years or one year? If you see that you're going to grow your passion slowly and that you're really probably going to stay in your current job or a job for two years, then the promotion may make perfect sense to go ahead and take that. If you think that you can ramp up your passion and be fully engaged in that within 18 months, then absolutely not. Do not take the promotion that's going to require new job duties and a relocation because it wouldn't be reasonable for either of you, you or your employer, for that to happen. So start with three years out. Get clear on what you want your life to look like there, then back into making the decisions that you need to make today. That's the way to set that up. Great question. Craig, now Craig says this. Why is it just because I have a disability, they discriminate against me from accomplishing my dream, which is to be a sports broadcaster, just like you. I'm really a big, big fan of yours and would totally appreciate to get a chance at it once in my life. What can I do? Well, Craig, let's unpack this a little bit. Now, you say to be a sports broadcaster, just like I am. Obviously, I'm not a sports guy, but I have a voice online. If you're talking about having a voice online, there's no obstacle. I, I don't know what your disability is. Now, assuming it's not a voice disability, I mean, it could be that you're in a wheelchair or don't have arms. Could you create a strong sports podcast? Absolutely. There's no barriers to that. There's nobody stopping you from doing that. There's nobody stopping you from accomplishing your dream. I mean, when you think about it, you, you can get in the game. It, it doesn't require somebody opening the door for you. You can get in the game, start a podcast today. This morning, I listened to the very first episode of Kent Julian's podcast. He's been talking about it for several years, but he just launched. Wow, really nicely done. Intro music, boom, the Living it, Live It Forward podcast. But there's no obstacles to do that. Now, if you want to get a job with a radio station, there are obstacles to that for anybody. Doesn't matter if you don't have a disability. That's a challenging thing to do, especially with radio really being in a tough place right now. The impact of radio is diminishing daily. You know, CBS just announced they're going to sell off their radio assets. That's the old, boy, that's the old, you know, Walter Cronkite kind of positioning that really made CBS. Well, it's over. That's the thing of the past. So if you're trying to get a traditional job as a sports broadcaster, or you want to be the voice of the you know, the Dodgers or whatever. Yeah, that, that's going to be very, very challenging. But I would encourage you, if you want to do something like I'm doing, just jump in the game. Start your own podcast on sports broadcasting. If you, if you have a credible voice, if you, you know, are somebody that people enjoy listening to, you've got great, exciting information about sports, you can build a massive audience in doing that. And there's nobody trying to close the door for you at all on that. Hey, let me bring in a, an audio question here. This comes from uh, this comes from Brant. Let's listen to what Brant has to say. Hey, Dan, this is Brant from Durham, NC. I had a question for you. I've got about three hundred dollars in a in a budget set aside to try to gain uh, numbers in my audience for my website. I blog about once a week. Um, I'd give you the name of the website, but I'm not asking you to promote it. Just want uh, your advice. Um, I've been blogging for uh, almost a year now, every week, uh, religiously. And it's, it's a blog about um, 
finding work-life satisfaction. And over the entire, uh, let's say about 10 months time span, I've only had 18 people sign up for my email list. So it's quite frustrating. I, I link to Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and all the good social media sites there. And um, I'm just getting frustrated. I uh, listened to your podcast uh, a week or so ago about uh, you giving things about a year or so before it's basically time to quit and look for something else maybe. Um, so I don't know if it's time for me to quit or uh, seek something else. Um, or, you know, I, I do have about $300 to try and uh, gain some uh, people to sign up for my email list. Wanted to see what is your best. Okay. Well, anyway, we're, we're going to start talking about that there. Anyway, here's the deal, Tom. So you've been doing this for a year and you've had 18 people sign up. That's a pretty tough spot to be in. If you're doing something where you're doing no social connections at all, not using social media at all, and only get that many, I think it really begs the question, does it have enough marketplace value to continue? Personally, yeah, I'd pull the plug. I'd just stop doing it. After a year with 18 people, I'd just stop doing it. Now, this is a tricky kind of question because, you know, we hear so much about persistence and we hear about the old gold miner, you know, who stopped just three feet short of the gold vein that made the next guy rich and all. But there's a whole lot of people in the space that you're talking about, how to help people find you know, their purpose and passion and a meaningful life. Look at what some of those people are doing. Are there things they are doing that you could model? That's the first thing that I do when I start any new business venture. Look at the people who are already doing things that are similar. What is it that I can do to get right in that space? Now, with what you're talking about, if you're doing a blog, I mean, my question is, are you using my rule of thumb where when you blog, every time you blog, you comment on at least three other people's blogs? And blogging is not a one-directional push. It's a method of interaction. So if you're blogging, if you blog in 48days.net, and if you blog for a year, and I don't see a lot of activity with you coming in on other people's blogs, I'm going to suggest that you quit doing that. But that's what you can do to start building engagement, interaction. You can do guest post. I mean, if you go back to my interview on 48days.net with Kamanzi Constable, he started with guest post. I mean, he approached people like me and Michael Hyatt, and very quickly got massive audience for the blogs that he was doing because he asked for guest posts. Then he went on, you know, submitted articles. He was interviewed guests on podcasts and radio shows. You've got to get yourself out there. Now, there's a couple things that I'm going to suggest for you. Michael Hyatt has a brand new little course up, and, and it's totally free. Incidentally, your $300, keep it. Keep it in your pocket preserve it. It doesn't require any money to grow an audience. And there's really nothing that I'm going to suggest that requires money. Money is not the key to growing an audience today. It's engaging with people, networking, having great content. Those are the things that are going to grow your audience. So I'll put a link to Michael Hyatt's new course in the show notes. It's a long URL, of course. Now you can go to his site and find it. It's five stages of platform growth. But it's a brand new video series that he's got. And of course, he's a master in teaching people how to grow their audience. So you can do that. But 
the things that I used right from the start you know, were blogging, my podcast, being a guest on other people's podcast. I mean, one of our, you know, one of the guys in our network, Aaron Walker, you've heard me mention him last year in 2015, he was a guest on 176 podcasts. You think that grew his audience? I won't even start to describe what that's done in terms of growing his blog readers, his podcast listeners, and the people that are in his mastermind and the request coaching. I mean, it's astronomical. He came into this as a total unknown, but he was a guest on 176 podcasts in one year, his first year. So, you know, you got to engage. You got to get in the game if you're going to if you're going to make that happen. You know, I, I want to bring in, I, I did a short interview with Ruth Sukup this week. And, and this is a good example of somebody who came on the scene with really not a lot of history and just simply decided what she was going to do. Now, she's a stay-at-home mom. Her first book was Living Well, Spending Less. I mentioned that in this little interview. She's got a brand new book out called Unstuffed. But I asked her primarily about how she built her list. This is a good time to listen to that. This is uh, 10 minutes and one second long. This is my interview with Ruth Sukup. Well, Ruth, it's a delight to have you on today. I've talked so much about your first book, and uh, now you've got a brand new one, uh, Unstuffed. Congratulations on how it's taken the world by storm. Thank you so much, Dan, and thank you so much for having me on. It is so good to be here, and I am just delighted to be able to talk to you today. Well, we met... What was that? Maybe three years ago? Yeah, is it? Has it been that long? It might have been three years ago. Two for sure. Two Maybe for sure. two and a half. Two for sure. And uh, you at that point were formulating your ideas, starting to build an online audience. You've obviously done an amazing job on that. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But then you wrote Living Well, Spending Less, which yep. continues to do really well out there. Your brand new book, Unstuffed, Decluttering Your Home, Mind, and Soul. I'd like for you to give us just a quick example, maybe in each of those areas about decluttering your home, your mind, and soul, because this is not just like you need to sweep the floor. You really dealt with some things in there. And of course, I was privileged to get an advanced copy, devoured it, passed it down to my daughter who devoured it as well. Give us a tip about how to declutter your home, mind, and soul. Well, you know, I think that people don't always connect the three things, but I think they're very, very connected. And hopefully I make that point in the book. But, you know, I think a lot of times it's the stuff in our lives, whether it's the physical clutter or the mental clutter, you know, having an overstuffed schedule or just a lot of guilt that's weighing us down, or even the spiritual clutter of just feeling this burden that we have to be responsible for our own salvation in life. All of those things can really, really weigh us down in similar ways, even though they're three different types of clutter. And so that's really what the book addresses. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much a practical takeaway kind of girl. So I love to give, you know, get to the heart of the matter, what the, what the issue is and why we've gotten to this point where we're so stuffed in the first place, but also give some really, really practical, easy to implement ideas for how to work our way out of that mess. Well, one of the things that I recall from the book vividly is when you punished your daughters because they had not picked up their toys, you punished them <laughs> by removing the toys from their room. Tell us what happened at that point. Yeah, well, 
it, I don't like to say punished per se, but I guess it was, it was one of those <laughs> things where, you know, it had been an ongoing issue. They were having trouble keeping their room clean. And I kept warning them, if we don't, if you don't keep your room clean, if you don't pick up your stuff, I'm going to take it away. And so it was, a, and they were little, so it wasn't surprising that they weren't able to keep it all picked up. But um, one day I just said, had kind of had enough of the warnings. And I said, okay, girls, today we're just going to take it all away. And so we did. We boxed it all up and they kind of stared at me in shock for a while. And then they helped. They started helping me put it into boxes. And we had this huge pile. It was in the hallway for like a a week. We didn't even know what to do with it. It was this gigantic pile. But I kept thinking they were going to, you know, see that pile and want it all back and be be willing to do whatever it takes to get it back and whatever it took. And what happened was that they were actually happier with less stuff. They didn't want any of it back. And they even told me they didn't want it back. And they told me they liked not having stuff. And I noticed the way that they played together, they were happier and they were more content and they were using their imaginations more. And there were so many amazing things that came out of that. And it was such an eye-opening experience for me because I realized that I had been doing to them what I was doing to myself, which was filling our lives up with stuff that we didn't need. And so, and I'm not saying that we don't have stuff because we do, and they still have toys. They have gotten many toys back. Um, my kids are, are doing just fine. Um, but it's been this sort of, it, it really changed the way that I looked at the stuff in our lives. And I think it really changed our whole family. You know, I love that story. And I think that has the principle that we can extrapolate into mind and soul as well, where we allow so much clutter that we can't see what the original attraction was sometimes, just to clean things out. Well, it's a delightful book. I want to also, because there's so many people in our audience, in the 40 Days audience, who would love to have your platform, would love to have written two books that are just crushing it at Amazon. You did that pretty quickly. Talk to us a little bit about how you built your tribe. What were the things you used? Was it podcasting, blogging, you know, speaking? What was it that you used to build an audience so quickly? It was definitely blogging. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because when my books came out or when my first book came out last year, I had a lot of people go, wow, you kind of came out of nowhere. And for me, it didn't feel like it was nowhere because I had been working really hard for several years at that point to build my platform. And it was, my book was kind of the first thing that people really started to take notice and go, Oh, I guess you do have this big audience that nobody knew about. And so I think that's always the thing that I like to tell people and remind people, like even when it seems like someone come is an overnight success, that's very rarely the case where they're, they might be working behind the scenes for a very long time. So if you're right now in that point where you're working behind the scenes and nobody seems to notice, take heart because sometimes it'll happen all at once. All that work that you've been putting in for months and years might just take off and suddenly like every, and then everybody's wondering how you became this overnight success and you go, wait a minute, I'm, that is not how it happened at all. That's so often <laughs> how it like, looks. Give that caveat. Yes. That's yeah. often how it looks. But Look. I do remember Dan, I have to say like meeting you was such a turning point for me in my business. Oh, I went to the launch conference, which was a fabulous, fabulous conference. Just amazing. So inspiring, but it was your talk like that was the most inspiring for me of everything that I heard there. And it was great. Like there was lots of really good stuff, 
but I remember it like I thought I felt like there was an actual light bulb that went off above my head when you were speaking. <laughs> and I remember so vividly what you said. You said, every time somebody asked me the same question three times, I create a product. And I was like, I, I, that was like my, my moment. And it has changed everything in my business since that moment. <laughs> so I just have to tell you, uh, thank you for, because it was that, that was the, that was the sentence that like changed my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome to, to hear. And you obviously have taken that to heart. You know, your books and products are coming out pretty quickly. Well, I love that. Ruth, what is it that you love most about having an online community, an online business? You know, the opportunity to reach people with the things that they're struggling with, because because it's the same stuff that I struggle with, is like such a gift to me. And I and you know, you asked the question about like how did I grow my audience, and I grew it through blogging. And I started my blog not because I was this expert on anything, but exactly the opposite. I was not an expert on anything. In fact, the, what I, the subject of my blog is called Living While Spending Less, where I try to help people find practical solutions to everyday overwhelm. But really, like we focus on a lot of budgeting type stuff. That is not my gift. I am the opposite of somebody who's good with money. I'm a disaster with money. And I'm a disaster with stuff. The reason I wrote a book called Unstuffed is because I filled my life up with stuff. And so I just love the opportunity to be able to take the, ch the challenges that have affected me and the solutions that I've been able to find in my own life and use them to help other people who are having those same issues and be able to walk beside them. And I, and that's like the greatest gift of all. Like it's, a, it, it, and I could have never imagined five or six years ago when I started my blog that it would bring me to where I am today. I could have never imagined that I would be an author of books. I would never imagine that I would have made the New York Times bestseller. Like any of that stuff is so <laughs> unbelievable. But at the, but more than that, like just the fact that I get to every day make a difference in the lives of people who are genuinely struggling and feeling overwhelmed and not sure where to turn. Like that is so that is, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's awesome. Well, where can people connect with you, see more of what you're doing and access the resources we've been talking about, Ruth? Yeah, they can find my book at unstuff.com. We have some amazing bonuses and my blog is livingwellspendingless.com. So there's lots of resources to be found there as well. Absolutely. Living well, spending less. I get your blogs. I always look forward to those updates. You're very transparent. You share from your heart about what's worked for you and what is not. And I appreciate that. I commend you on that. Well, again, it's living well, spending less for the blog or go to unstuffed. Is it unstuffed book? Unstuffed.com. Unstuffed.com. Okay. Yeah, Go there and see the brand new book, which I highly recommend. A delightful read. I'll be buying copies and handing them out to people that come into our events over the next couple months here. So oh, thanks. Thank delight talking to you, Ruth. Delight having you on today. Thanks for spending your time with us. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was great to be here. All right. Well, there you have it. And that's a great example of how she built an audience. And it goes back to... Brant's question. We've been blogging for a long time. The key to connecting with people, the key to building an audience is to address something that they care about. Ruth talked about that. She addresses what people are struggling with. So you can't just offer solutions. You can't just tell people, 
you know, what you know. You can't just add knowledge. You have to address what is the problem or pain or gap. It doesn't have to be that, mean that people are just, you know, really, really uh, in bad shape. But what is it between where they are and where they want to be? So if that is a problem or pain, how are you going to address that? You got to start with that. A couple of weeks ago, I had, oh, I had Ray Edwards on and talked about his new book, Writing Copy That Sells. And, uh, you know, I, t- I talk about books on here and just like Ruth's new book, Unstuffed, it is great. It's a great quick little read, but has so many practical tips for just unstuffing, uncluttering your home so that everybody breathes easier and feels, you know, like there's more margin in their life. But I mentioned books like that just simply because I know the profound impact those books have had on my own life and success. But Ray's book, when we were talking about that, he uses PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, as an acronym to walk us through how to present our ideas to people. You know, who, what is the problem? You know, how, then we can amplify it in the end. He goes through that, you know, all the way up to, to what our offer is. But too often, when we're online, we too quickly just go to what our offer is, and it doesn't engage people. People can't raise their hand and say, oh, you just described me. So you make sure that you're doing that. Now, another thing I want to mention real quickly, Ruth talked about the fact that she had met me at an event where I went through how to leverage your message. I went through how to take your core message and let people experience that in a whole lot of different ways. So if you have a core message, once you define that, you can coach, you can speak, you can create a book, an ebook, an audio book, a course. I mean, a lot of different things you can do to give people opportunities to experience your message. I'm going to be doing that at Innovate. Now, we brought this back. We haven't had Innovate as an event for a couple of years, and people have been asking for it again and again and again because it was so much fun when we did it a few years ago. So we're bringing that back. It's going to be May 26th and 27th, Thursday, Friday, right here at the sanctuary. We've made it very affordable. It's our lowest priced event of the year. We want to just have a lot of fun with that. I'm going to bring in people like my buddy, Ken Davis, who has made a career, a very profitable career by being funny. I mean, he was not a good student, got, got into trouble in school. He was a horrible athlete, was made fun of, and he discovered this gift of humor had a teacher who embraced that, told him he had been given a gift if he could figure out how to use it. And he's going to, so I'm going to have Ken come and share. Debbie Dearman's going to be here. She's going to talk about losing her voice, physically losing her voice as a musician, as a vocal singer. What are you going to do then? And she discovered this amazing gift in visual art and how that has exploded into a new area of success for her. Bob Baker's going to be here. He's the author of The Empowered Artist has more pertinent, actionable material about how to make money with your artistic gift than anybody else that I know. Going to have him share. Going to hear from Jared, my son, who lives in Costa Rica. I mean, what's up with that? How do you do that? People look at them and say, oh, geez, it'd be nice to be, you know, living a dream. And they're like, why aren't you doing that? If that's your dream, why aren't you doing that? So Jared and I, Leah, and their three little kids live in Nosara, Costa Rica, right on the Pacific Ocean. Um, And it is a dream place. He's going to be sharing about how he's made that work, how he's always, since a little kid, just followed his dreams and how that's worked out. And then I'm also going to have Joanne and Joanne, my wife and my granddaughter, Clara, do an 18-minute presentation on their brand new book, What If It Were Possible? 
The book will be published by Morgan James Publishers. It'll come out in October, but we have some advanced copies right now. So I'm going to have them share how they took just a casual conversation, turned it into an actual physical book that's getting a whole lot of attention already. So that's May 26th and 27th. Innovate. Love to have you come see us. Now, we really, you know, this is, if you have an idea that you've really got shaped, you know, I really encourage this is something for people. We're going to show you how to go from, you know, a, a, a two to a 10 more than a one to a two. So if you've got an idea, you know, it's a personal gift of yours. It's a passion. You just need some help shaping that. And we'd love to see you here for that. All right, let me jump back in some questions here, see what we can knock out. Julie says, my idea stems from the fact that I'll be 50 in less than a week and I'm starting over in life. I'm lacking in some knowledge that I should have picked up on along the way, but didn't. I don't want that to happen to my son and daughter, but as it stands, there are no comprehensive classes or courses teaching life skills to kids in our area. I did hear that they have a program in Santa Cruz and I'll be looking into it as soon as I am done with this email. I would love to see a two-year program that included sections on business and personal finances through Dave Ramsey and a section on career development that included 48 days to the work you love. Other sections could be information on parenting, cooking, nutrition, cleaning the home. Historically, these have been left to the family to pass on to the generations, but a class would help to cover any gaps that weren't covered. Anyway, I think many parents would love to have their junior and senior kids attend a program like this. Maybe we could get a driver's ed class in there somewhere since you're with Julie Wang. Well, Julie, you, know, you, you you've touched on something that is certainly a tender spot for a whole lot of us as parents in seeing that our kids are being taught knowledge that you can get readily in a heartbeat by asking Siri, where it really begs the question, why would is, is it important to store that knowledge in your head? You know, is it really important in today's environment to memorize the capital city of every state in the country? I mean, I know that I did that. Is that really important? Does that really move somebody forward? So our educational system is set up to make people robots, frankly. It's set up to teach people how to do very routine, boring, monotonous kind of task. It's not really set up to engage people in life or to even teach them how to think. Now, I know I'm generalizing and I don't want to offend educators, academicians out there, but I'm, I'm making a broad swipe here because you're right. The things that really are life skills when it comes to cooking and cleaning and being a spouse, developing relationships, being responsible, you know, even things we were talking the other day about kids used to take etiquette classes. I mean, knowing how to be proper at a table and respectful and which fork to p- pick up if there are multiple ones. I mean, those things have kind of been thrown out. Everybody's so casual. I think there's merit in a whole lot of those things. But bottom line is we have to take responsibility for that as parents. We, we can't, can there be changes in the academic system? Absolutely. Will there be? Absolutely. But it, it's, that's like turning an ocean liner around. It's going to take a whole long time. Whereas you can make a difference today. And I just walked in from the other room where one of my granddaughters did a presentation, eight years old, did a presentation in front of all entirely adults in the room. I mean, she just killed it because she has that kind of confidence in communicating and being around adults to do that without stumbling. That doesn't come from being in school. That comes from having parents who are engaged in helping her develop into a really 
purposeful, meaningful little human being. Well, anyway, so I, I mean, Dave Ramsey does have material for kids in all levels of school. Uh, we're introducing the 48 day seminar. It's being used in a lot of different universities and certainly welcome that in high schools as well. It is inf- important information. Frankly, I don't push much in that area because there is so much status quo that's been built in. That's not the way we do it. Boom. That's, you know, not the way we've always done it. Well, pet peeve, obviously, but I think you as a mom or as a grandma or whatever, you can make a difference, but it's going to be by taking direct action with the kids that we have responsibility for. Speaking of taking action, I want to get to one more here, and that is this idea of, of taking action. You know, I also wanted to get to the one, wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to do this one, and we'll see where we end up. We may have some carryover in the next week's podcast here. Hi, Dan. My name is Tom Lennon. I've been listening to your podcast for probably at least a couple of years. Uh, I, I love your podcast, all the information on there, and I've read 48 Days to the Work You Love, the updated edition. Uh, I have a very hard time, though, with implementation. I have a entrepreneurial spirit. I'm a good worker. I, I think I have great ideas, but I have a hard time implementing. Is there anything that you could tell me that maybe you haven't already said in your books or podcasts that can help me break out of this rut of acquiring knowledge but doing hardly anything with it? Thank you very much, Dan. All right. Well, Tom, we certainly can give you some pointers on that. I'm going to give some give some tips on this one example here, and we're, we're going to have to move the what if I'm not great? What if I'm just average? We're going to have to move that into next week's podcast. Delighted to do that, but uh, we aren't going to have time for it today. So in answer to Tom's question, he's got entrepreneurial ideas. He sees himself as an entrepreneur, but he doesn't implement, doesn't take action. You kind of just destroyed the definition of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is not somebody who just gathers information or knowledge. When we have this trifecta, we have knowledge, understanding, application. If you get stuck along the way there somewhere, you really aren't an entrepreneur. So if you're gathering knowledge, that's fine. If you really understand it, that's fine. But until you take action and apply it, there's really no benefit given to yourself or to other people. And there's certainly not an entrepreneurial process that takes place. Now, let me give you an example here. Let's assume, and I don't know a lot about your work situation, but let's assume, I'm going to assume that you're busy working. You're, we're working on a full-time job now. So how do you take these little ideas and kind of break out so that you can start to get some success in some other areas? I worked with a lady yesterday. She's one of our new coaching mastery students. She's very, very busy in what she's doing. She has a current workload of seeing about 35 people a week in counseling sessions. That's a really heavy load. She's making $120,000 a year. But we identified where do you want to be three years from now? She wants to take some of the information where she has a unique area of expertise and she wants to develop that into a course. So here was my plan for her. I want her to reduce her current workload from five days to four. So she has Friday free to use that eight to 10 hours to create a complete course And I want her to have that finished by July 1st. 
Then we're going to price that course at $197 and commit to making 250 sales by the end of the year. Now that's not real aggressive. That's not a, we're not talking thousands. We're talking 250 sales. So just going through this, she's making $120,000 a year now. If she dropped back, if we took one day of the week out, that's a 20% reduction. If we did that for the entire year, that would mean a $24,000 reduction in her income. All right, so we pull that out. That's a big bump. But if she creates a course for $197 and starting in July 1st, sells 250 copies by the end of the year, that'll generate $50,000 in new income. And she'll have a new product that can continue generating income without additional time required. Now, that's the key. See, that's what you have to do. You can't get to somewhere new unless you change something about what you're doing now. But if you carve out just a little bit of time, even though you don't get an immediate payoff, you can build your, put yourself in a position to get a massive payoff down the road and not that far off down the road. I mean, we're not, we're not talking years. We're talking about just a gentle kind of switch and she can start to then grow what's happening on the side well, she continues with the golden goose that she has now, but then grow the new venture so that 18 months from now, she's fully transitioning into doing speaking, writing, presenting courses, group coaching, the kind of things that she wants to do. Got to take action though. Got to take specific action. Without that, nothing changes. Got to create the change so that it opens up the new door of opportunity. You know, there's no new opportunity that's going to occur in your life without change. And what we often do is we resist change. We want to keep things the way they are. Well, if we keep things the way they are, then we'll keep things the way they are. So it's just this part of this exciting process. Change opens the door for opportunity. Whether you initiate it or whether it comes, shows up unexpectedly and even in an unwelcome way. That's what opens the door to new opportunities. Well, hey, I know you're part of this group that is, in fact, looking for new opportunities. You welcome change that comes along when it does because you see that it's going to open up new opportunities for you and your family, the ones you care about. So thanks for being part of this engaging community. Check out the live events we got coming up. We'd love to see you here for Innovate or Coaching with Excellence. It's the first part of May. Uh, that one's getting pretty full at this point, but if you want to be a coach, we'd love to see you there. So I know that you're part of a growing group of people who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I commend you on being in that group. Don't settle for less. Change the future you've got.